Welcome back to the Ubloquity podcast with me, Don Birch. This is a podcast where we get to speak to thought leaders and experts from across the globe. And it's lovely to actually be joined by somebody who is across the globe over there in San Francisco, Najaf Jelani. Now, Najaf, we work together. I mean, I'm looking at your resume, right, on LinkedIn, and you were at Walmart like about 10 years ago. So I'm figuring maybe we worked together about eight or nine years ago. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, a while. But, you know, um, but first of all, thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. I was, you know, I've been listening to all your podcasts and. It has been quite exciting to be on one. So thank you for having me. <laughs> well, you're very kind. You're very kind. It's an absolute pleasure. So tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about your background because you guys, you know, you're at OPSEC now, but what was your journey into the role that you do now? Where, what have you been up to in your life? Yeah, um, as you know, you know, I've been a techie. I've been a, a techie all my life. You know, started with pretty much uh, pure software engineering uh, field, you know, building email systems back uh, back in the day in, in 90s when uh, you know emails were you know still becoming a big thing of uh, collaboration and messaging and then you know just worked my uh, way through some of the you know groundbreaking technologies back uh, you know in early 2000s with mobile gateways and mobile phone browsers which basically was also the thing of the future at that time but uh, you know that that actually was quite insightful. So I, I would actually consider myself really lucky to um, be a part of that uh, in the beginning. Um, and then uh, obviously stumbled across the, the retail tech, which is, uh, you know, joined Macy's.com uh, back in 2008, uh, which is where my retail tech journey started and moved from the traditional software development companies into uh into the retail technology companies. And I actually found out that there was tremendous amount of opportunity in that space to up-level technologies uh, and up-level the systems because, you know, I mean, everyone was shifting towards uh, online shopping. So that's where my journey started with that. And then obviously, uh, you, you know, switched over to Walmart. Uh, they, dis- they discovered me. They wanted me to uh, come in and, and build uh, the global e-commerce platform. And I started with uh, the Canada e-commerce platform first and then expanded uh, my horizon to the global, you know, uh, platforms, including Asda and, you know, um, and then, you know, was a was a much bigger portfolio afterwards. And then uh, it was fun. Uh, and I wanted to do something different. So anyway, after Walmart, I moved to eBay for a short, brief period of time. And then, you know, came across this amazing opportunity, which was very different than what I had done in the past. So it was a learning opportunity. And now at OPSEC, you know, doing all the all sorts of uh, different, you know, technologies, including online brand protection and and, uh, you know, physical brand protection piece. So Great. And we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Let's ju- just reverse back to Walmart, right? Because uh, that period of Walmart's evolution, they were going through this huge change, right? They kind of recognised they were a dinosaur based out of northwest Arkansas. They were a traditional retailer. They'd, you know, grown out of being this one discount store and mm-hmm. it kind of become this huge, huge, like, behemoth around the world right and to the point where they were attracting lots of criticism and they were having to go on this big sustainability drive but also mm-hmm. recognized that they needed to pick up their e-com team move them to san francisco and actually mm-hmm. buy some technology companies and i guess really recruit a load of really smart engineering folks and they mm-hmm. really kind of 
I don't know, they sort of shed their skin a little bit, didn't they, during that period? And they were quite radical and quite innovative. Very much so. I think that it was a shift from the traditional brick and mortar model because that's where Walmart was focused. You know, when I joined back in 2010, um, you know, even getting a basic technology decision, you know, we had to uh, get the uh, get the approvals from senior leaders in Arkansas. And, you know, they were mostly uh, focused on the brick and mortar growth. And it was so hard to establish that, you know, technology would play a, a key role in this. So I think there was a lot of learnings. Uh, there, there was a lot of pushback, but then, you know, there was a lot of support that also came in from within that just took us to the next next level of introducing latest technologies. And I think that shift took place between, I would say, 2010 and 2012, which is where, uh, you know, we um, experienced uh, quite an explosion of technology usage and, you know, technology thinking or design thinking. And then, you know, that basically put Walmart on a path where it, it switched gears into becoming a, a more of a, tech giant rather than a retail giant or, or a combination of both. So. Mm. And, and I guess it started to understand data, didn't it, in a different way. It always been really, really good at understanding the sales and the product and the movement of product, but it started to really get a sense of when you've got 100 million customers choosing to shop with you once a month and then a lot of those people are then starting to browse or shop online, it started becoming a data company, right? And it was sat on this amazing well of insight and information, but then making sense of all that information and being able to translate it and do stuff with it. There's the big challenge, right? It's great having all the data, but actually being able to order it in such a way and then make some sense of it. That was the bit that I remember it sort of really beginning from San Francisco to kind of like go, okay, this is really powerful stuff here. And there's more value underneath the hood, if you like, than we realized from just selling products, right? There's this whole new business model that's emerging. Correct. I think that the realization that data is king was actually pretty much was a concept back then that some companies, including Walmart, realized. Uh, And I think that that was because people had a trust on uh, such a large retail that, you know, they can save their information. They have the data that they need, um, you know, for um, you know, Walmart to make the right decisions. And I think we, in that moment in time, the customer base or the consumer base has always been very high on Walmart, which basically had the competitive edge, you know, that we had over other retailers that prices were low. We were able to draw traffic based on the competitive, you know, uh, pricing that we had. Uh, people were able to create their profiles. You know, they were also looking at some of the trends, you know, that were happening uh, in terms of products. So we started collecting a lot of data around personalizations and liking and regional data slicing in terms of where, you know, what which products are being sold where. And, and I think that's when the brick and mortar part of the business also realized that, hey, you know, this, this is great. I mean, we can also stock up a lot of different items based on the demand of the customer rather than, you know, just saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm low on, you know, XYZ product and I'm just going to, you know, get 100,000 units of that. Rather than that, there was a lot of reliance on um, this data that would lead you to say, okay, yeah, you know, I haven't sold this unit so much in the past uh, quarter or so, and, you know, I still have enough in my inventory. So instead of 
ordering another 100,000, I'm just going to order 25,000 because the volume and the need is not that much. So that also brought in cost optimizations across the board, which basically Walmart's fundamental thing was, is to provide, you know, uh, savings within to be able to pass that over to the consumer. So, so data played a huge role in this. And I think that uh, the early adopters of, of that data advantages was uh, Walmart. And I'm, like I said, I was, I've been a big advocate of data till date. Uh, you know, that basically it speaks to itself. It uh, speaks to, you know, to the facts that we collect today. I remember some of the thinking as well back then where without the ability for real sort of AI-driven machine learning, there was still this real focus on algorithmic understanding that you know that you can build connections and those connections can be refined and those refinements can learn from one another, but also using different types of data. I remember being in a brilliant meeting with the Weather Channel once and they were going, if we map our historic weather data by geographic zip code over your store sales data and then we look at weather prediction which is getting more and more accurate and we can look 10 days out seven days out we could start to flow your goods perishable items that go up when the you know the weather changes by three degrees certain alcohol brands which will change people flip from one brand or one liquor into another that you might need more root vegetables on a cold windy day and it was kind of like for me that was just like expanding my brain and it was one of the reasons I used to love coming over to you know San Bruno and being in being in the sort of silicon vibe right where there was this sort of notion compared to over in the UK, there was a notion of anything is possible. What's your idea? Let's go away and try and make it happen. Whereas I found over here, it was a bit more like before you got the ability or the, I don't know, or even given permission to do stuff, you had to kind of prove your credentials. You had to sort of go, the reason you should allow me to even think about this is because look what I've done in my past. Whereas there was a complete different perspective. Do you feel that and notice that being in that side of the world? Absolutely. I think that this side of the world has, uh, I mean, again, Silicon Valley thinking is, is, has always been the cutting edge, you know, thinking outside the box. And we have talent from within, but also have talent, you know, getting poured in from, you know, other parts of the, the world. So this is truly a melting, melting pot. So the brain is different walks of life, you know, different mindsets, but, you know, I think I want to comment a little bit on the, the AI piece a little bit, uh, you know, that you mentioned that even at that time we were way ahead of, you know, the AI, you know, thinking, because remember for any AI system to work, there has to be some grant, uh, some foundational pieces that you would have to put in place. And that basically is, you know, for whatever is being, you know, fed into your system has to operate in a certain way so that, you know, you, you starting off with giving basic instructions to the machine and then, you know, allowing the machine to learn from the basis that you've actually created and then uh, generating all these different, you know, models uh, and learning models and things like that. So we were the early adopters of that as well at Walmart. And even, you know, in Silicon Valley, a lot of different companies were adopting to that. So that helped build the foundation for where we are today. I think that that had been uh, revolutionizing because, you know, if I were to, you know, do the same thing over and over again, I would actually ask the machine to say, hey, you know, just write the script for me or, you know, write the script and just tell the machine to run it automatic, you know, automatically, 
at a certain point of time. And then by the way, if this happens, you know, I need some extra information as well. That was a foundation that started off with, you know, the expansion of uh, the machine learning and AI. So yeah, I, I, a lot of different vibes and, and uh, you know, I think the the revolution that we've gone through in the past couple of, uh, couple of years on this, uh, two things. One, obviously the Silicon Valley uh, standing out from the rest of uh, the rest of the world. And then uh, the second, the, is the foundational adoption of the, um, of the AI components uh, from the very beginning. So let's fast forward then to OpSec security, right? So you're the global leader in both physical and digital anti-counterfeiting and brand protection solutions. Tell us a little bit about the company <laughs> first, right? And then let's get into some of the products and some of the, I guess, some of the things that you're helping major corporations and governments solve for. You know, OPSEC has been around for 40 years. We were have been the pioneers of so many different things from starting with the physical technologies to be able to print holograms, even these little labels and currency. We used to print, uh, you know, currency for some of the governments back then. Uh, and, you know, just the whole journey of working with, you know, governments, brands to be able to protect their physical assets as well as uh, the digital assets has been our core competencies. Now, you'll hear in the market a lot of people or a lot of companies would claim that, you know, they do have the same sophistication and, you know, they can do uh, online brand protection or they can do physical brand protection. But, you know, I tell you, uh, Dom, it's it's not that easy. You know, being in, being in technology, understanding, you know, what those complexities are, I can tell you this, that, you know, uh, OPSEC is definitely the industry leader in the space. And, you know, from the time that, you know, I have joined, you know, this, uh, this company, the one focus that I've had is to turn this into a true technology, you know, company, because, you know, you start off with products and machines and, you know, physical pieces, but then how do you transform this into a true tech company. So that journey has also been very interesting. And, uh, you know, OPSEC has been working with top brands, uh, you know, top governments around the world, uh, trying to solve these problems around counterfeiting, around on the physical uh, product side, but also on the digital side. And, and then we're integrating now with, you know, a lot of different platforms across the board, like Meta and, you know, the marketplaces that are huge, like Amazon to the world. And, and, you know, we're just solving a, a, a very big problem. And at least I think that we're, you know, we're, we're helping uh, the world uh, become a better place by, by doing this. So there's also this, <laughs> this, this uh, you know, satisfaction uh, of doing the right thing and then also being, uh, you know, a leader in this uh, cutting edge technology that we have. And, and this is the weird thing, right? So you and I sort of like go off and do our different things and, you know, and then so- suddenly we're sort of weirdly oscillating around one another in these two new companies, right? So, so, yeah. so the, the thing that we're getting more and more excited by and more and more involved with, both at a kind of critical national infrastructure level with governments, you know, creating mm-hmm. these platforms that are blockchain based, right, distributed ledgers that are able then to take information, but you know, use multi-factor verification to ensure that the data is correct, right? So, you know, our, our kind of, I guess our purpose, if you like, is proving what something is and where it's mm. come from, how it was pulled together, made, manufactured, you know, whether it's a natural product or an animal product or a manufactured product. And then once it's on the move, 
ensure that it has integrity, right? That it's not being tampered with, it's not, you know, being broken or changed or adapted, right? And the reason we're doing all of that is so that things can move more seamlessly and with without as much friction across borders. And it's come into sharp focus with some of the regulatory changes here in the UK and the UK choosing to leave the European market has created friction because it's harder now to move things that were once moving across borders that weren't there <laughs> to now having borders that are there, right? And, and different regulations. So it strikes me there's loads. Of, I mean, you, you know, OPSEC is so huge and do so many different things. But, you know, you do, you'll do security tags, won't you, at one level, which are these sort of windshield really? d- decals that are there embedded in the, in the, in the window of a car, but yeah. also allow uh, governments to collect taxes. But I, I guess as these things develop and as more and more pr- products become, I guess almost have like these IoT elements to them, yeah, have, yeah. that mean that they are trackable. They do have a code that's unique. Uh, they might give out a signal. It might be a nano tag or a GPS signal that increasingly being able to federate and use feeds from these types of solutions that you guys create for companies and brands will also mean that that will then allow systems and processes that are typically manual and quite bureaucratic to just operate far more seamlessly. Indeed. No, absolutely. I think that what we've done and I think what I've, I think that you know what what you guys are tackling is also a very interesting uh, I would say it's a it's a channel that companies have not thought through in the beginning. You remember the Walmart days, like, you know, have issues around tracking of just a basic delivery of an item to a customer, right? So I think that no one knew where the item was. No one knew where, you know, the the journey of that product had been. And now I think more so than ever, you know, we are all interested in making sure that it's a seamless uh, handshake between, you know, different systems. And I think data security, um, which is becoming more and more of a concern that, you know, as you're battling this, there's also bad actors in the market that are also trying to uh, combat this, you know, the other way by, you know, coming up with some, you know, more evil plans, I guess. Uh, And then they, you know, so data security, plays an, an integral part in this. So again, the use of, you know, uh, new technologies like blockchains and, and um, are becoming more and more uh, in demand because I think that's uh, that's uh, the future for us to to make sure that we have the you know, secure ledgers, you know, uh, to be able to, uh, to protect the data from, you know, getting misused, right? So I think that's... Um, where I see the future going towards, you know, and um, in in OPSEC, I think we, you know, what we what we have done is we have, you know, found a, a really niche area where we have not only created these, you know, unique IDs that you know goes along with uh, with different labels that we print and you know all the different um, security features that we provide. Um, we also have uh, a tracking mechanism. You know, like you said, it's a uh, you know it. Law enforcement agencies are able to see you know where different products have actually made it to. We have a mobile app that actually allows you to scan uh, or look at different hand tags to be able to find out if you know if it's uh, real or not. You know, or if it's a counterfeit. So there, there's a lot more effort. That is being put into making sure the the entire journey uh, is captured, which is I think which you know you guys are doing that and tackling that on the uh, supply chain side. 
That's right. Mm. And, and, and all we're ever looking for is like good quality data that is, once it's made immutable by placing it into this distributed ledger onto a blockchain ecosystem, if you like, the, the data was such good quality that it's true, yeah. right? And you can stand by and go, right, it, that digital fingerprint, that twin now of a physical item has a digital association with it. And I can trust that all the way through a system. So the number of checks that you then have to do on that um, throughout its journey decreases. The number of interventions you have to make, the number of times that port authorities have to pull that wagon over or that truck aside and go, we need to check what's on the back. And and then sort of combining technologies is the thing we're interested in. It's like, how do you combine the best science that's out there with the best IoT devices with the best tags, right? You know, and I'm just looking, the, I suppose the opportunity in front of you as an organization is so vast, right? I mean, if you just take pharmaceutical, I'm just looking at your website here, right? According mm-hmm. to the Food and Drug Administration, 97% of online pharmacies are selling fake medicines. Yes. Wow. Yes. You know, and, and, and just, <laughs> it's just unbelievable, isn't it? And, and, and as you say, counterfeiters are always going to be just one step, aren't they, behind your best technology, ideally. But they're right. sort of creating these holographic things themselves so so how do you do that as an organization i mean without obviously giving away anything to the counterfeiters but like how do you ensure that you're always just that one step ahead and that you're developing technologies that mean that you know you can keep on delivering for your customers that's a great question in fact we we do have a lot of simulation in terms of what the counterfeiters are actually up to right so you know there are things that are attributes uh, our specialist investigators, you know, they take a look at, you know, what could be another possibility that a counterfeiter could actually be thinking. So, you know, just just staying ahead in the game. So I'll, I'll tell you, I think that you, you mentioned a very important piece of the puzzle, which is basically pharmaceutical, right? So life-saving, uh, because this is, you know, more around you know, impacting, you know, people like, you know, counterfeit medicines being sold in different parts of the world, um, you know, could impact, uh, you know, someone's health or, you know, possibly take their life, right? So you just have to uh, understand that, you know, there is a bigger problem uh, that we're facing. But first, let me explain. I think we do a lot of investigative things. We actually do a lot of, you know, research in terms of uh, what, could be the possible uh, where counterfeiters can take advantage of. And then we we then have acquired and built technologies that allows us to, to be so unique that no one can have multiple different layers of these inks that we're using and different holograms that we're building, multi-layered aspects of it, different facets involved in this that, you know, th- that can't be easily counterfeited. I mean, people, some some factory, you know, someone thinks that, hey, you know, I can just uh, print money or I can print, you know, this label. It is not going to be that easy. So we're, we're not only combating what they're thinking they're going to do, but we're also thinking about 10, 15, 50 years from now. Like, you know, <laughs> these guys will be left behind in the game But the important thing is that the retailers, the brands, the pharma industries, the automotive, uh, another example is the automotive, right? So the automotive industry, the brake pads, brake pads are actually counterfeited and they are so dangerous because, you know, you'll hear accidents around, um, you know, people were applying brakes and, you know, the brakes failed and, and they don't know that. Uh, brake pads, are they real or not? Uh, they're being sold at a retail store, but there's no way for them to find out. So there, are, there's a lot of 
measures that can be taken if you know we start to build this awareness and and um and expand our product lines to other you know other areas other industries and other brands but it's a it's a hell of a journey let me tell you that i think it's um <laughs> it's a challenge every day it's uh, that you know is very exciting but you know you're doing the right thing i think we're we're making making the world a better place and and what you is know. it what what gets you out of bed in the morning though right so you you know you you're, you're chief software development officer right and you're in you've got this vast universe of things going on in front of you which is all you know every every single channel looks exciting we haven't even got into the kind of digital counterfeit world of i guess spotting things on a big retailer of products which will have a marketplace open marketplace and they'll they'll have you know small holders selling things and you i guess you're spotting things on there are you guess looking at descriptions looking at does that luxury handbag is it too cheap is that a flag is that a flag that raises an alarm what what kind of things are you doing there where you're not actually not physically is digital yeah, the digital side is is uh, you know a lot more technology and uh, you know I would say I mean both the sides are very technology driven, but digital side has this bit of a machine learning you know AI element to it as well because you you, you know we do we've been doing it for a long time. We understand that there's certain anomalies that counterfeiters like you know that like they say in these uh, you know movies that you know this. Uh, the suspect had left some evidence behind, right? So there's <laughs> always this one evidence that's left behind. And that evidence is, is um, you know, captured in our analysis. Basically, you know, some descriptions give it away. Sometimes the price gives it away. Sometimes the location gives it away. Sometimes the, uh, you know, the um, swatches and the colors give it away. Uh, thumbnails and the stock images give it away. So there's there's always this one thing that these counterfeiters miss out on and they, you know, they leave a little breadcrumb for us to find out that, Oh, got you, man. Uh, this is something that you're trying to do, but we're not going to, you know, let you get away with it. And we've also built, you know, a lot of reputation with larger clients across the world. And they, they trust us with their brands now because they, they, they are willing to share, you know, some of the very, um, you know, specific information, like, you know, serial numbers or things that they can share with us that we can cross validate. So now we're actually building uh, the next level of partnerships with some of these brands. And also on the other hand, marketplaces, uh, this problem is, is very widespread uh, because, you know, there are little to no checks when someone is onboarded as a seller on a marketplace, because, uh, obviously, marketplaces are going after uh, volumes and they want more sellers to be on the platform. But at the same time, these uh, low checks then leads to problems where, you know, you have a very high counterfeiting rate. But again, everyone now is realizing that this is a major problem. And um, one example that I give to everyone is that major brand bag being sold to a human eye, to consumers that are not aware of the brands and as such, like my mom would sometimes, you know, buy something, show that to me. It's like, hey, look what I got. And, you know, I spent, you know, a couple of hundred dollars on it and I'm, you know, I'm looking at it and I don't want to break her heart, but you know, it is it is counterfeit at times, mm. you know, and then, you know, and she doesn't know, but, you know, she's holding it and believing it's real, but, you know, there are things that you can, 
that that gave it away. So, anyways, the digital side is becoming much more complex because our footprint on the on the websites and the marketplaces is a, is a lot more. So, we use a lot of um, you know checks and balances, a lot of AI machine learning just to be able to tackle that. And and I guess you can imagine this world of sort of NFTs and um, and being able to authenticate that something is real, and then associate that with a digital item that's for sale. And for that authenticity to carry some weight and then on arrival that you then have something that has value and a resale value, right? Because, you know, I've got this designer bag, it should cost $3,000, it should be made to a very high standard and there are not many of them in the world. So it gives it even more value, if you like. And those sort of items can gain value, can't they, as they sort of age or become, you know, even more rare. And having this sort of notion that in the future that can be authenticated there might be a tag inside the bag that's invisible or hidden that can be validated at a certain point but there also that it comes with a unique code right it comes with a unique there is only one of them in the world and that can be stored yep. somewhere and that can be transferred i mean that that world isn't far away i mean the technology is already there right but it's not it's not out there in you know in wide use but i guess all those things are beginning to converge it will be an explosion uh, of all of these different, you know, digital asset protections, uh, you know, which includes, you know, NFTs and and some of the other mechanisms, you know, where we would protect those. But yeah, I, I think that technology is changing by the hour, by the minute. So you never know. Tomorrow, everyone starts, you know, moving towards that direction. But the thing is, we we at OPSEC, I think, are staying ahead of the curve by making sure, like I said, the research, uh, you know, or some of our experts, you know, in the business have actually gained over, you know, 20, 30 years. And uh, is that there is a, there's a trend that you go after. There's a, you know, these counterfeiters and bad actors are, are using certain mechanism and their, their thought process. And, and, you know, and that thought process is something that we're trying to get ahead of and, and combat. So digital assets is not that far off where they're getting protected as well, which we're actually working with some of the clients on that as well um, at this point. So. And, I, and I love that because, right, you know, this is for me the, the crux of it all, right? You've got this amazing technology. You've got these amazing advances in technology. We haven't even really got into like the whole chat GPT world of things, right? But but ultimately you also have humans who have vast amounts of experience and intuition based on having been there, done that, and so blending the best that technology can give you, but also applying that human brain that allows you to go, I can sense where this is going, and therefore we need to start investing and getting after that. I mean, you know, that's got to be still the bit that gets us all out of bed, right? <laughs> that you still need the humans. I, I think the, pe- the human element, uh, you know, just keep in mind, and this is, again, my perspective, you know, being a techie all my life, love machines, love, you know, creating automations, love creating systems. But at the same time, I think the human mind, you know, has just this extraordinary capability of, uh, you know, if if utilized in the right way, it can actually really, you know, do amazing things. So you do need that element of the human and machine together because, you know, you'd have to almost have this uh, friendship, you know, between the two because, you know, th- this is... These learning models, while they are amazing, they if they have this extra support of experience, expertise, and the human, you know, experiences real life, then you know you can just uh, be untouchable, right? I mean, you can actually reach levels that 
no one can. So I, I do think that that's an important component that we have. And our specialists uh, were truly proud of that. You know, they, with the technologies and the specialists that we have, it's a combination that uh, takes us to the next level. And, and I think that's the thing for me. You can't teach a machine to be curious, right? But you can, yeah. <laughs> but, you, but but you really can encourage a human to be curious. And and it's sort of like that skill that can be lost. You know, when every when every answer to every question is on the internet. But being curious and wanting to find out more and sniff something around the corner. But anyway, listen, Nigel, if we could chat, right, all day long, but we can't. I know. I'll tell you why we can't, because it's the weekend here in the UK, because I'm like 10 hours or nine hours in front of you. And, and you know, I know there's a beer waiting for me, so I'm going to have to go and drink that. <laughs> but Indeed. it's been a real pleasure catching up with you on the podcast. Um, I hope to see you in the real world soon, either over here in Europe or me over there in the US. Um, but for the time being, Najaf Jelani, CTO, Chief Software Development Officer at OPSEC. If anyone's interested in finding more about OPSEC, then, well, you can just Google OPSEC Securities. Everything will come up and you can find Najaf on LinkedIn and plenty of other places. But Najaf, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dom. It was great chatting with you. Speak soon. Wonderful. Now, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to say?